0: think this is my journey through the Beatitudes. I hope that maybe for some other people it will be, be your journey as well. Otherwise, as so often I might be preaching to myself. <coughs> so let's read the Beatitudes the they are in Matthew 5. Now when you saw the crowds... Blessed are the merciful, for they will be shown mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called sons of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. I'm not quite here, am I can't are I? under the corner over there, on the window. (laughs) Okay. So I picked, blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called the sons of God. And I picked this because I thought, oh, well, if ever the world needed peace, it needs it now. If ever our country needed peace, it needs it now. And families that need peace. But going through the Beatitudes, for me, over the last few weeks, has been an interesting, but I have to say a very challenging, experience. I know it's good from time to time that we reflect on how our Christian lives are going and this passage has certainly done that for me. As we've been working our way through each of the verses it struck me how far I match up to the ideal states that these verses refer to and none more so than when Richard spoke a couple of weeks ago on mercy. When I read this verse, my first thought was that the Church, also down the centuries, can ha, can hardly have been called a beacon of peace. So many wars have been fought over the Christian faith, not only with other religions but within different factions of the church, even within churches, people have disagreed with one another and separated because of their differences. even Paul. In the end of Romans 7 speaks of how he sometimes doesn't do the good he should do, but continues to do things he knows are wrong. I would certainly be able to cite many examples of when I wasn't a peacemaker. So how do we explain this verse? I looked at the time in Jesus' ministry when this teaching took place and was struck by the fact that it takes place right at the beginning. And it provides the basis not only for this chapter, but for the rest of his teaching on how we should live. Not under law, but under grace. However, in verse 17 of this same chapter, Jesus said he'd come not to to destroy the law, but to fulfill it. So how was this going to work out? At this time, the Jews were living under the law but like us, finding it impossible to keep. For the Jews, if anything, it was even harder than for us, as they had extra burdens put on them by the Pharisees, who interpreted the law and added to it extra burdens for them. As Paul says in Romans, all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. So are we left without hope, if that is the only way to become right with God? We can see examples in our own lives where we don't even try to obey the laws of this country, let alone God's laws. People complain when they're caught speeding and feel they're hard done by, even though they know they've broken the law. I know if I try to do, and I've tried this recently since, I think Richard did a talk about driving, to keep to 30 miles an hour when I go down the Brooklands Road, because that's the speed limit. Well, what I've found is that I'm actually a danger because people overtake me when I take, go 30 miles an hour down Brooklyn's road. I thought about this again last week when somebody on the television was complaining about how much council raised through parking fines. Now, this was particularly in London. And actually one of the presenters said, oh, well, we know it's only because the council are using it as a money-raising measure. Well, they might be, but to get the money, people have to break the law. They have to park where they're not supposed to park. But they don't actually see anything wrong in that. And several of the people agreed with him that it was wrong for people to be fined for being parking illegally. So if we pick and choose what laws we keep, and we eat, uh, you know, even the world's laws, how hard it is for us to keep. God's laws well well that could mean that we don't have any hope then but as I reflected more on this verse I looked at the second part it says they will be called the sons of God well how do we become sons of God well every single person looking round in this room knows how we become sons of God only through Jesus as we as we sang I think so movingly has paid the price for us, uh, for our sins. He's made our peace with God. Richard quoted last week one of the verses, which is one of my favourites, which is in Ephesians 3.18, which says, By grace we are saved through faith, and not that not of ourselves. It is the gift of God. To even start being a peacemaker, we first have to make our peace with God. Then we have the presence of the Holy Spirit in our lives that allows us, if we let him, to rise above our human nature and become more like Jesus. We saw in Richard's Sermon on Mercy that once we were given concrete examples, how easy it was for us to rush rush to judgment and condemnation of others, just like the men who caught the woman in adultery. As Richard said, how different was Jesus' approach where he balanced mercy with helping the woman put her life right. I like the example I read somewhere that the Sermon on the Mount describes the life of those who by grace have passed beyond the law. As I mentioned earlier, Jesus said he had not come not to destroy the law, but to fulfil it. Jesus' people will no longer have to sacrifice a lamb to be forgiven, because the Lamb of God, Jesus. Jesus, only Son of God, has paid the price once and for all. At this, the start of his ministry, in this passage, he is stating how those who are children of God, and that I think all of us in this room, um, should um, sorry, uh, uh, should be released from the law, not to break it, but to take it a stage further. And I think that's where the challenge came for me. A couple of examples of this are that Jesus taught that just keeping the commandment, thou shalt not murder, was not enough. Thinking murderous thoughts was also breaking this law. And the same applied to the one about do not commit adultery. To be blessed is to have the joy and wholeness that being right with God brings, and that can only come through the Holy Spirit. Being a peacemaker doesn't mean that we can avoid all conflict, but it's how we handle it that defines whether we are showing we are sons of God. So often in arguments, the thing that matters most to us is being right. I know I've had some bitter arguments where I've just wanted the other person to see that I'm right and they're wrong. Do you recognise that? I think the key here, and the thing that's helped me, the word is progress. Life with Jesus should be a gradual transformation into the person God wants us to be. If that's not happening in our lives, I think we have to look at why that might be. I know just studying these verses has been a challenge for me. The characteristics of pride and being judgmental are the same for this verse as they were for the one on mercy. Being a peacemaker does not mean avoiding conflict, but how we handle conflict. I know that in some of the arguments I've had in the past, I would not have acted in the way that I did if Jesus had physically been in the room with me. In my own extended family, I have two people who no longer speak to each other because of comments their children, not even them, made on Facebook. How many arguments between families, friends and others have been caused by Brexit? At the prophecy conference a year ago, one of the words I was given was not to let the differences of opinion hurt my relationship with my sisters. The person who gave this to me didn't even know I had sisters and did not know that two of them did not share my views on Brexit. How easy to spoil things by arguing about this and not to see that the other person is sincere in their opinion and should be respected. However, we cannot shy away from the thought that came to me first, that the church has been involved in conflict from the beginning. Jesus himself said, I have come not to bring peace but a sword. We have to discern between when it is right to stand firm and fight, and what is just our pride and our need to be right. For this we have the Holy Spirit to help us. We need this help because while participating in a divine nature we are still human. We can also look at the examples of Jesus and see where he was angry, as with the Pharisees when they used the law to make people's lives even more difficult. Unnecessarily, there he was acting not as a peacemaker, but standing up for what was right. When he overturned the tables of the money changers in the temple, he was display, displaying holy anger, for how they had turned the temple court into a place of commerce, where cheating people was also taking place, when it should have been should have been a house of prayer. Once we become Christians we've signed up for a battle, one not of flesh and blood but against an enemy who does not want our lives to reflect Jesus and cause other people to know him. When we put into practice what Jesus taught us to love our neighbour as ourselves we can expect opposition. The stand up for the unemployed, the poor and the stranger is to invite opposition. My first instinct, and this came out very clearly when Richard did his thing on Mercy, my first instinct is to confront those who tell you that the unemployed are all strangers, or as I was told this week, that the only people who come to Food Bank are immigrants, that they're ignorant and they know no better. By telling the person who told me about, oh, only people who come to, that, you know, come to food banks are immigrants. By telling this person some of the examples of why people use food banks and how different they are, how many different ways in which people have come to have to use a food bank, they said they'd not realised that and asked me how they could donate. And I explained to them about the Tesco's drop bins. Bigotry, I think, should always be challenged. But it's how you tackle it that I think is the hard bit. This is a verse which has encouraged me as I've had this journey about perhaps putting a mirror to myself and seeing I don't always like what I see. In 2 Peter 3 and 4 it says, His divine power has given us everything we need for life and godliness. Through our knowledge of Him, who called us by his own glory and goodness. Through these he has given us very great and precious promises so that through him you might participate with the divine nature and escape the corruption in the world caused by evil desires. To conclude, because of this I have actually coined a new blessed. And this blessed couldn't have been there when Jesus did his talk. It's had to come about after his death. How blessed are we not to rely on keeping the law for our salvation. And that has really struck me. How blessed are we in this room that when we read through all of these things about mercy and forgiveness and um, just all of the blessings that we're all going to fall short in some way or other, but through what Jesus has done for us we have the Holy Spirit to help us and the only thing he asks of us is that we, that we do listen to him and try to do what he's telling us to do to help us along our journey towards um, being like Jesus.